<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. As America's leading personal finance expert, Fanoush Tarabi is on a mission to help all of us live our richest, most fulfilling lives. She's also the author of three best-selling books, You're So Money, Psych Yourself Rich, and When She Makes More, which all aim to make money talk less icky and a little bit more Instagrammable. But like most success stories, Fanoush started from the bottom. Now she's here. At 22, Fanoush was living in New York City with over $30,000 in debt. She was making $18 an hour before taxes with a master's degree. Sound familiar? While feasting on canned tuna and $5 footlong Subway sandwiches, Fanoush slowly climbed out of her debt in the most expensive city in the country. So how did she do it and become one of the most popular podcasters in America? I'm so thrilled to welcome Fanoush to Summer Camp today to learn more about her career how she leveraged a podcast to build a successful brand and how she paid off that debt. So you can too. So welcome, Fanoush. This is my first time at camp, period. Like I was not a camp kid, you know? Parents couldn't afford it. So this is like a really nice homecoming of sorts for a first time of sorts. So um, thank you for having me in that nice introduction. Of course. Excited to dive into it today. So I know we want to chat all things podcasting, but I'd love to kind of take it back a little bit when you were 22. So sort of go back into that headspace when you had $30,000 in debt, sorry, living in New York, master's degree, $18 an hour before taxes. This is something that a lot of people can relate to. Can you take us back and let us know how you were feeling at the time? And did you ever think that that debt was going to be something you could pay down? I mean, to hear it, it's almost as if it was, it could have been someone yesterday telling you their circumstances. And so, you know, back then, 
what was also true back then, which is still true now is I was making about $18 an hour before taxes. I have since checked in with that old job and the pay is still about the same for an entry wow. level. I was a glorified intern at money magazine and that's pretty much mm-hmm. what they pay still. So it was a strange time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of mixed emotions on the one hand, I was very ambitious. I think a lot of us can relate to that too. Like the reason people come to New York, right. Is because they want to mm-hmm. achieve all the things. What helped me navigate that was feeling not alone. I had a lot of friends who were in the same boat and fortunately, you know, we would talk about the fact that we were broke. And so there wasn't this peer pressure to spend mm-hmm. more than we could make. We understood it and we all empathized. And yep. so we would do dinners in, we would do nights in, and we, we would be conservative socially as far as how much we spent, which was very helpful. I think in your twenties, that's a huge challenge. It's overcoming yep. pressure to spend because your friends are spending. Yeah. That was the first thing. I also worked at a magazine where luckily if you stayed late, they would pay for your dinner and your car ride home. <laughs> so I took advantage of all the late. <laughs> Yeah. It banked on all the freebies. And yeah. I worked a lot, not, not even mm-hmm. just at the job that I had, um, which paid me a little bit of overtime, but also I freelance wrote, I babysat, mm-hmm. I bird sat an old professor's bird a couple of weekends. I was not ashamed to roll up my sleeves and even yeah. with a master's degree, like do whatever I need to do to get out of debt. And I had a visual goal in my mind of kind of what I wanted my life to look like in the next five years, in the next 10 years. And that's a very important, as I learned later, as I was writing my second book about behavioral finance, like that's a huge way to motivate yourself to any goal, whether that's trying to finish a marathon or, you know, get um, buy a house or get out of debt, sort of seeing the other side of the equation feeling like you have something to look forward to is a great reminder and stimulus to, you know, get yourself out of the situation that you're in. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely like, want to touch on the emotional side of it because I do think that that's such a huge topic and so, so interesting. A lot of people probably don't realize how connected they are emotionally to their money, but I'd love to know how you actually paid off the debt. Like, was there a budget aside from, you know, helping out, you know, your friends kind of figuring it out together, but I think it would be helpful to know, how you actually paid it down and how you actually stick to it as well. Yeah. I think that's difficult for people. So before this was before like all the apps. So I had a very Excel spreadsheet. I remember sitting down and just writing down every single necessity that I had to pay Mm -hmm. for. That was my rent, my food, my insurance, my, you know, my cell phone. That was sort of the stuff that I needed. And then on the Mm -hmm. other column was, the extras that were not essentials and going through that list first and eliminating or finding ways to get things more affordably. You know, it was just the sort of thing where I automated so much of it. I I committed to Mm. not just paying the minimums on that student loan, but every time I'd get a tax refund or birthday money or whatever it was, I would put that lump sum towards the debt. And anytime I get an extra gig, I put that towards the debt. So you know, there was definitely an exercise where I went through the budget and saved. And I also went home on the weekends to my parents' house yeah. a lot of the weekends <laughs> to just yeah. get out of the environment. That's so yeah. important. Your environment dictates a lot of your financial spend. Your social life. Social life. Those were some of the steps that I took. I will say that the side gigs really paid off with the debt because mm. when I was 24, Five, I got a book deal that was a byproduct of all the freelance articles that I had written. And then from that book deal was able to use a lot of that 
to wipe out yeah. the entire amount of debt that I had left. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, where do I start? How do I get a job? How do, you know, obviously internships are really great as well. But I think just pitching to as many people as you can is such an important approach if you are a writer or whatever industry you're yeah. in. It's just because you never know where that's going to land you later you on. Even if you don't it, get yeah. do it. In journalism school, we were taught very well how to write, but we weren't really told how to sell. Yeah. our ideas. And yeah. I came from a business background. When I started journalism school, I had already a degree in finance and business. And so while I wasn't maybe the best writer, I was really good at conveying an idea across the telephone. In that case, a lot of times we, I was calling <laughs> a lot of editors yeah. and pitching them my ideas. So I was known as being the most like sort of bylined graduate of the class that Amazing. actually made money. I wasn't the most eloquent writer or the best researcher, but I definitely um, got published and made mm-hmm. money. I'm benefiting from that, you know, that yeah. early on experience. Let's take a quick pause from today's episode to chat about Uber for business. Hey, we're living through unprecedented times. Many of us are grappling with both personal and professional struggles right now, which is why prioritizing employee and customer happiness is more important than ever. The tricky part is finding a simple yet effective way to do so when in-person interactions are limited. Well, look no further because there's a new Uber in town. It's called Uber for Business, and it offers a solution to stand out to your customers or make employees feel more valued. Maybe you're struggling to keep your employees engaged during virtual meetings. Well, with vouchers for Uber for Business, you can add $20 to your team's personal Uber account so they can easily order meals through Uber Eats before the meeting. Or maybe you're looking for fresh ways for your business to grab customers' attention. Make them love your business even more by offering them a voucher for a free meal or ride when they make their first purchase or spend a certain amount. It's time to start delivering extra value to people who matter most to your business. Signing up for Uber for Business is free and vouchers are simple to send and to redeem. Your business will have total control over who receives them, when they expire, and what portion of the ride or meal your gifting will be covered. Vouchers are shared via email or text and can be redeemed with a single tap. Best of all, you only pay for the rides the recipients actually take or the meals they actually order. Right now, Uber for Business is offering companies a $50 voucher credit when you spend your first $200 with vouchers. Go to uber.com slash work party to learn more. That's uber.com slash work party for a $50 voucher credit. Uber.com slash work party terms and conditions apply. Brand partners like Uber Business are how we keep work party up and running. Show your support by giving them love too. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. But yeah, I think also paying down debt, there was this period of time. So you're basically working in the most expensive city in the country. You're a financial reporter at this point and you're slowly paying down the debt. You notice this white space where these young adults had really no access to any kind of effective or fun money advice that felt digestible and also actionable, I think is a good word. And still, I think aside from your content, it can be hard to find in the space for a lot of young people. So how did you turn that epiphany into a brand? And when did you kind of realize that this would you know, become a successful career for you? Or was it something that you just kind of went with at the time? You didn't really think it through. There was some strategy. I think what what started it off was the inspiration. And I had a Mm -hmm. great boss early on who, for me, I think really illustrated all the possibilities. So I worked under, for me, like a North Star. Her name is Jean Chatsky. She's written multiple New York Times bestsellers, speaker, TV Mm -hmm. host, all, all the things. And she was doing this before we even had the 
coined the term personal brand. And mm-hmm. I got the chance to work for, with her as an editorial assistant and just saw just through her modeling, you know, yeah. really how much she was able to do within the field of journalism, that you can tell mm-hmm. a story in, in so many ways. And I'm a bit of a, you know, I like flavors. I like to try yeah. everything. <laughs> I get bored with one job and, you know, like I order a lot of appetite from the appetizer girl. It's like, a yeah, same. I don't want to share one meal. <laughs> like that's yeah. the serious thing. So yeah. that for me, it's like for my personality, I was like, I really like the idea of being able to dabble in a lot of different things. So with sort of the central theme of personal mm-hmm. finance, what it was, was entrepreneurship at its best, right? Kind of right. developing this ecosystem of work for yourself that is mm-hmm. fond from a single central idea. And so I kind of followed that model to some extent. And I realized that it was going to require a lot of learning in the beginning, mm-hmm. which was getting the experience. So I had the time just was working in print. So then I went over to um, television for some years and then I went over to digital and did a bunch of um, digital work for places like thestreet.com and Yahoo. And I wrote a book and I did a lot of television. And so Mm -hmm. really you're starting to see all the different platforms. And I think to your question about brand building, it, Mm. for me, what that meant was doing my work in all ways being accessible, right? So there's no reason why you have to limit yourself. You know, you have one area of focus perhaps, but you share that. And that way you have, you can expand your audience that way and you become known as sort of that go-to person. Mm -hmm. And in all of those ways that you execute, making sure that you do stay consistent, that you stay aligned with your mission, that you have that, you carry that voice seamlessly. And that those were all conscious things. And I loved, I loved every part of that because for me, that mm-hmm. was the business side. And then the work itself was sort of the artistic or sort of the, mm-hmm. the creative end, but it was the marriage of the two that ultimately became how I executed the personal brain. I want to touch on that emotional and personal aspect of money that you um, were speaking about earlier, because I do think to your point, money isn't just dollars and cents. And I think your book that you wrote on that really kind of goes a lot deeper into that topic um, and explains it a lot more detail. But if you were to kind of break down those psychological, mental and emotional barriers that prevent us from taking action around money, what would you say they are? Well, one is that we all have a financial narrative growing up, whether that's we grew up oh, yeah. in poverty, our parents might have thought about money, or we grew up super rich and never really learn the pain that might be associated with not having money. And so everybody (laughs) has a story and that story ultimately shapes how we relate to Mm -hmm. money. I I know this because I've interviewed now, I've done over a thousand episodes of the podcast and I ask this question Mm -hmm. almost every time, what's your biggest money memory growing up and how has it shaped you? And everybody's got a story. And sometimes the stories are very simplistic and other times they're really complex Sometimes mm-hmm. they're positive, sometimes they're negative. It's a whole mixed bag. And mm-hmm. I do think that that's where a lot of our relationship develop. And so part of becoming an adult who is able to make sound, healthy decisions with money is unpacking that story mm-hmm. and understanding the root of why perhaps you have scarcity issues around money or fear of yep. money or, you know, perhaps um, that you have a love of money. You know, there's also yeah. positives to it, too. So that you can love it and be scared of it too. (laughs) Yeah. We're intimidated by it. I think it comes up a lot. You know, it shows up in our lives when, for Mm -hmm. example, we're in a relationship and we have to Mm -hmm. talk about money with a partner 
or we're up, we're up for a job and suddenly we have to negotiate on our own behalf or yeah. a friend asks us for money and it brings up a whole like mm. host of emotions or we lose a job and we have a hard time finding the confidence to go back into the workforce and, and again, advocate for ourselves. So there's that, there's sort of the homegrown relationship, but there's also a lot of external factors that mm. we get these messages as we grow up in the world, women in particular, that yeah. are not good with money. Money is a man's domain. For men too, they grow up with a host of principles around money that don't really mean anything. Like, you know, that if you want to be a good man, you have to be a provider and like right. financial provider. I've written about this extensively too, and what it means to be a female breadwinner, a male breadwinner. And so, you know, and also I watch a lot of Bravo TV, right? So there's an obsession <laughs> yeah. that our culture has around wealth and material wealth, particularly. Mm -hmm. So if you buy into that, that also mm -hmm. messes you up because you think you equate your self-worth with your net worth. And yeah. so it's sort of these two bookends of what we are taught internally and growing up, then also the messages that society feeds us. Okay. So I want to dive into the podcast because that's what we're really kind of wanting to hone in on today. Um, so money, you launched in 2015. And this podcast is so brilliant. It's an amazing look and deep dive into the successful people's kind of money diaries, I, I guess you could say. So Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Sally Krawcheck, but it's also really practical. And I think there's a lot of actionable advice that really applies to anybody, not just people who are on a grand scale when it comes to money. So I'd love to know, like, why did you launch the podcast? I know you were saying before that it was a new stream of content where you could kind of, right. you know, feel more interested in something different, kind of pique your curiosity. Um, and how has it transformed your brand? Because podcasting has really blown up. And I think for a lot of people, they're interested in dipping their toes into the podcast world, but they're not sure how to go about it and how much it will really help their brand, you know, investment wise too, if it's going to cost a lot of money instead of bringing in money. All true. Well, your <laughs> question is about the why. Why did I start it? Yes. And for me, if there was sort of a Venn diagram it was a combination of something that it was relatively easy for me to start because it requires very little tech as we know. And yes. I had just had a baby and I was home a lot. So mm -hmm. I couldn't really leave the house. If I wanted to grow a speaking career, I wasn't really going to be able to do that. So there was a lot of things that just sort of canceled themselves out because of my life circumstance. But I did know that I wanted to still make an impact and build my audience. Like, is that even possible working from home with a child that's a newborn and suddenly, you know, still focus on work? Yes. It was podcasting yep. because I really appreciated the low tech model and that it could be something that I could really do on my own time and interview people on my own time. And so mm -hmm. the logistics was really, it really spoke to me given where I was in my life stage. So that was the first sort of circle. Then the other circle was would I be good at it? You know, and I, I have the gift of gab. I love talking. I came from, mm -hmm. a, I have a radio background. I have a TV background. So as a journalist, I felt like I could really um, set this up quickly in the sense that I could reach out to people to have on the show. And yep. for me also, like it was a true passion because I had done a lot of work in the space, but it was a lot of sort of logical, straightforward advice giving, which served a purpose and was yep. definitely in need, but I wanted to have bigger conversations about money that nobody, you know, would give me the bandwidth to have, uh, elsewhere because they just didn't think that it was interesting or everybody wants like 
quick bites, right? But so mm-hmm. a podcast really gives you the opportunity to expand on topics that you really can't find elsewhere because everyone has, you know, very short attention spans on YouTube and watching television. And, but when you're on a podcast and you're in someone's ear and they're already engaged and they want to go the step further. So I wanted to, luckily I also wanted to go the step further. So podcasting was a great fit in that way too, because the audience and I were kind of on the same plane. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of the, the depth that we wanted to have with the topic. I always mm-hmm. wanted to do a show where I would talk to people about money and really make it as casual of a conversation as talking to your friend about the dress yep. that she just bought from the store. And mm-hmm. our culture is very afraid of talking about money. And I wanted to use this podcast as a vehicle to break down those barriers and to make mm-hmm. it really accessible and to learn from the people that we look up to for things that aren't necessarily financial advice, but mm-hmm. to, to hear their stories, perhaps we find that we, we like them more or they're just like us. And so it's also bringing these people that we hold on pedestals um, more back down to our level and say, did you know that Tim Gunn didn't ask for a raise or any money for the first two seasons of Project Runway? No, he didn't ask. And so they didn't offer to him. Wow. And it wasn't that there wasn't any money. It's just, you know, he didn't do the good deed of asking. And, and yeah. so- you know, all these stories that were never Crazy. before told, but mm-hmm. make us feel so much more connected to people on a topic like money, which always feels very isolating. Yeah. And feel better about ourselves and our decisions too. If we can relate to that. Oh, I didn't either. Oh, that exactly. makes me feel better. I'm not a loser or I'm not someone Celebrities who's Celebrities are just like us. Yeah. Just like us. Exactly. <laughs> but like any channel podcasting requires a lot of strategy and planning and marketing. You know, I think, yes, it's easy to set up and, and you can easily get kits now and do it from your living room. You can do it, you know, like we are over Zoom as well. You can record it in all different unique kind of ways. But what are some of the first steps people need to think about when they're mapping out a podcast strategy? Because I do think you really do need to think about your execution. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff, whether that's what camera, like the microphone to get, software, mm-hmm. all that, that's, I feel like the big mistake is people focus too much on the tech first and getting set right. up and they kind of skip a couple of steps um, because really the first step should be understanding why you are doing this podcast in the first place, not just from a, why I'm doing it for my audience, but why am I doing it for me? What is it that I'm going to benefit from? And, and this might sound like a very selfish question, but this is going to be a big time suck. So you need to be yeah. really clear on the benefits that this podcast is going to bring to you. Is it going to be a revenue stream? Is it going to be an audience growth engine? Is it going to be a way for you to just release a passion that you have and you don't really care, but you know, from a business strategy standpoint, what it does, those are all fine. And you might have all of those wishes, but really, really clear on like what it is that you want to have this podcast accomplish for you. Maybe you have a course that you want to sell and this podcast is going to be a direct stream of potential students for that. Knowing at first exactly what this podcast is going to be used for, utilized for in terms of yep. the rest of your business. Cause let's be honest, a lot of us aren't podcasters first. We're yep. first, you know, journalists, we're first entrepreneurs, yep. we're first teachers. Oh, and then we also have podcasts. Mm-hmm. So if that is going to be part of your ecosystem as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, where's it going to fit and how mm-hmm. is it going to tie into everything? Thinking about that, mapping that out at first will be instrumental because it's going to give you so much clarity around how you're going to shape the show, how you're going to, with the language you're going to use, 
the calls to action that you're going to have, the guests that you're going to have, yep. the topics, right? And then the other thing that I think is really worth obsessing over in the beginning is your audience. Yeah. You can't, I mean, I have talked to people behind big brands and they bring me on board as advisors. And the first mm-hmm. thing I ask is, what, who's the audience? And they're like, well, it's kind of everybody. I'm like, no, 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 everybody. <laughs> no. That's great that if everybody comes to your, your yeah. site, your podcast, but that's not going to happen. And so yeah. you, it would behoove you to really, you know, zero in on a very specific avatar. That's what, that's one. I took yeah. a podcast course before I started my podcast. And, Amazing. First, you know, the first thing I learned to do was like, really understand who your audience is, like know what their habits are, age, education, career track, interest. Did you create a persona? I too? did, you know, yeah. and it was like a, a 32 year old woman who was living in Boston, who was sort of mid career, mm-hmm. early, like not early, early career and not like high up, but she was sort of rising through the ranks. Um, yep. She had a little bit of student loan debt left, but yep. was ready to sort of up-level her finances. She was dating someone seriously, maybe wants kids one day, not sure, maybe three lunar <laughs> eggs. Like I got I really that. granular <laughs> with that. And I learned that, you know, 88% of my audience is female mm-hmm. and they do fit that mold to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that was me consciously attracting her, but it was also, mm-hmm. I think, it's who I know because it's who and I know how to speak to her. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. You don't know what you don't know. So ask yeah. your audience, they will tell you. And so mm-hmm. I'm a big asker. I asked, like yeah. I was initially seven days per week. Mm-hmm. Okay. At 30 minutes wow. of show. Now that had its benefits in the sense that my download numbers went up really fast sure. in the beginning. And I was able to sort of, you know, leverage that as far as marketing. Do you think it's a good launch strategy to do that? It can be because again, yeah. if you want to celebrate, you have to be your biggest advocate in anything yeah. you do, but with podcasting, if, if you don't celebrate it, no one knows you have a podcast. So you have to sort of get out there and be like, reach a million downloads guys. And then right. everyone's like, wait, what am I missing out on? Mm-hmm. Now they don't know that you've done like 20 episodes and yeah. it's really the volume that's been leading the downloads, not necessarily. Exactly. Like and that's a Forbes headline. You're going to get media and press around that. Right. Too. And so yeah. that I, for me was very intentional, but it was not sustainable. And frankly, yeah. um, the fewer shows you do, the more people can listen. People were telling yeah. me I'm having a hard time catching up. Like the, the, the most I can listen to is like two to three a week and you've got yeah. seven. So then uh, gradually it went to five and then I'm at three now. And this is kind of my sweet mm-hmm. spot. I feel like three mm-hmm. is good. It's good for me. My audience, again, like they listen to almost every episode, but if you're not really sure and you mm-hmm. just kind of want to put something out there and, and get feedback and grow it from there quickly, then maybe just start with 15 minutes and thinking about what other value driven segments you can add on to that to make it more yeah more exciting to make it 30. Cause I found that with yours, I could go to the grocery store and listen to the first half and yeah. then the second half on the way back. And then I'm done. Right. You know? Like and that that's the thing. you got to think about people's habits and what are yeah. their, what are they doing with their days? If you're, if you're talking mostly to working professionals, well, you know, they don't really have a lot of free time during the week, but no. maybe it's early morning. Maybe it's mm. when they're coming home. Maybe it's on a Sunday grocery run. So those are the yeah. opportunities. Yeah. But like they don't have an hour and a half unless they're no. commuting from, you know. Yeah. And that's gone now. So it's very interesting to see how that's all changing and how that's panning out now. But like any new launch, you need a marketing strategy. So I'd love to 
touch on that as well. You know, how do you encourage people to tune in? And then how do you encourage the speakers that come on to share as well? Is that kind of part of the strategy that you put together as well? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should always ask for everyone to share your show. There should be no shame in that. Um, I think it Mm -hmm. helps to give them assets. So it's very easy for them to share. You don't have to, they don't have to do anything except click. I have an email ready to go. It's been scheduled Mm -hmm. with the link, with with the artwork, everything. Most times they do nothing. Sometimes they do share, but it, if I post it, they will reshare again because gotcha. people are lazy or they just don't yes. remember. No, I, I don't take it no. personally. No, you know, it's it's just, life is busy, but if yeah. they see themselves tagged, they're more yes. likely to reshare. So it's really the, I'm telling you the marketing strategy is you're looking at it. Like yeah. you have to be your biggest fan and your biggest advocate. Um, and speaking of guests, are there any tips for people who are just starting out on how you get great guests? Obviously you have a great amount of experience in this category. So you've developed relationships over time with people that may know people, but it's still, you know, there are some guests on your wish list that, you know, you have yeah. to cold email, I guess, and kind of reach right. out to any tips there for, for doing that. Yes. So researching obviously who you want to have on the show, but not limiting your research you yes. really need to know what they have coming out. Do they have a book coming out? Are they going to be going on a speaking circuit? Yes. Are they going to be, you know, do they have a podcast of their own that they're launching? Because sometimes the best way to get new listeners is to go on other podcasts. Definitely. That's the number two way people find my show. Number one is just search. Mm-hmm. They're searching keywords. Number two is I heard you on someone's podcast. So I want to touch on monetizing though, because I do think a lot of people, and to your point earlier as well, you know, podcasts, it also depends on what you started the podcast for. It might not necessarily be a revenue stream. It might be a marketing platform to push to something else within the business, but I'd love to know how long can you expect to have a podcast before it starts making money? Should you think about it being a revenue stream straight off the bat? And should you reach out to brand partners? Would love to know how you thought about it when you first started the podcast and how it's changed over time too. Yeah. Well, you know, I like money. So I'm not going to tell someone to wait to make the money, but I will say be strategic about it and and not to limit yourself in terms of the how you can make money from your podcast. Again, going back to recognizing all of your assets, it's not just your podcast. And so when you pitch yourself to a brand, it's mentioning the podcast as part of a ecosystem of benefits for that brain. So you're really creating a multi-platform sort Mm -hmm. of relationship with them. And that's how all my relationships with brands have been. And yes, the podcast has straight up just ad sponsors where I read Mm -hmm. the ad and that's the extent of the relationship. But I do Mm -hmm. also annual renewable podcast sponsorships, which with that, you also get a lot of, of my other sort of my gifts, you know, whether that's like, I'll come to your company and speak to your employees. We'll do a Instagram campaign. We'll do videos. We'll do this, that, the other thing. So, you know, and that's the fun part, kind of thinking Mm -hmm. about like, how else can I add value? And by the way, your audience is by the, by the virtue of being a podcast listener is so engaged. Yeah. It's unlike any other potential consumer. Um, and I know that for my audience, 30 or 40% have said that they have bought something 
that was mentioned mm. on the show. And I want to touch on time commitment. You have touched on it a little bit earlier. You now do three shows a week, but for people that are interested and they're a little bit nervous about the time commitment, how long does it actually take to plan, produce, you know, promote a podcast, whether it's three times a week or one time a week? Well, in the beginning, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. And I think it, with anything mm. in the beginning, it takes more time because you're mm-hmm. making mistakes. And I would say that 30 minutes to record, I do a little bit of light editing before I send it off to my editor. And then they return it within 24 or 48 hours. Most of the work is in the recording. So I'd say at minimum, it's a few hours a week. The key to making this really easy is streamlining as much of the process as possible. Mm-hmm. So when, when guests want to get on the show, I have a calendar link. They make an appointment yes. to record with me. So I don't need a scheduling assistant for that. It's all mm-hmm. automated. When they get their confirmation email, it tells them what they need to now send me. So mm-hmm. a bio, a headshot, and any links they want me to mention. So then they usually send that to me. So I don't have to like follow up with them. They just know to send that to me. Um, uh, and occasionally I've had assistants who will prepare show notes for me ahead of an interview mm. so I can read them and just have a little bit of an understanding of the person. So I want to do a little bit of rapid fire quickly and, um, finish this up. Uh, the first one is how I made my first dollar. Ooh, I asked for it. I asked for an allowance at age five. I was in the mall with my mom and I wanted to get something at Claire's or one of those places. And she was like, no, of course not. And um, I had a relative visiting from out of town. He was with us, my uncle. And I was really upset. And he was like, listen, there's a thing called an allowance. And I was like, my ears perked up. I was like, what is this? He's like, well, you do tasks around the house and your parents pay you for them. And then, then you have the money to make your own decisions. And I was like, I like this a lot. So I negotiated with my mom and he was there. He was like my agent. Okay. Number one money tip for new entrepreneurs. Don't spend any, never use your own money to start a business. You know, there's like lines of credit, friends and family loans. I mean, your savings obviously is if you have that for particularly the business great, but not have some skin in the game, certainly of your own money, but also realize that there's like an ecosystem of ways to raise money as well. Gosh, there's fundraising platforms for women. There's crowdfunding, there's friends and family. Mm -hmm. And I would also say have runway, at least a year's worth of financial runway. So if you're going to a year, okay. Yeah. I've had three to six, 12. You're not an entrepreneur. I think if you are starting your own business, look, it takes time to make any money. And then if that money goes away because of a pandemic or whatever, what have you, it takes time to rebuild relationships and get those revenue streams flowing again. So 12 months is usually every entrepreneur I've talked to who is mm. still being an entrepreneur with the same idea from five, 10 years ago, they said, you know, we waited until we quit our jobs. We wanted to make sure we had a year's worth yeah. of bare bones living expenses. Yeah. Financial book always recommend to small business owners. Profit first. This is by Mike McCallowitz. It's a wonderful book that solves the biggest problem when it comes to managing your money as an entrepreneur, which is how to pay yourself. Easiest career decision I've ever made. The podcast. Yep, for sure. And three qualities that got me to where I am today. I'm a very good listener. It's my journalism background. I like to try something new, put myself out there and I like to think that I'm easy to work with, that I am likable in that sense, that I'm a good team player, 
I may not work with someone for three years and then they come back. Like there's, yeah. there's always, the door's always open. I feel like yeah. I have that, I have that great relationship with people that I work with. I don't burn bridges. I always mm-hmm. leave things neat and happy. Yeah. I think being kind and open is definitely great advice for anybody going Thanks into for letting me brag. In life. Oh, weird, but okay. No, because I think those qualities are, th- are things that people should keep in mind because you are obviously very successful at what you do. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Where can people find you? So many podcast.com. And then if you'd like to join up for the five day challenge, challenge.paystopodcast.com. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I have thank so many notes. This. Yeah, no, thank you very much very invaluable to our community. So I really appreciate it. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Work Party.